Amen. It is going to rock your socks off, even if you're not wearing socks. Love it, Kyler. How you doing this morning? You guys seem a little quiet. Everything okay? All right. I am excited about uh, today, part two of Life Hacks. I actually, you know, I say I'm excited. I, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm excited to see what God is going to do today because if I'm honest with you, I have about three sermons that I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, God, which direction are you wanting me to go? So I may take a part of this sermon and a part of this sermon and a part of this sermon. I've just got too much information for 30 minutes. Um, but I really, so this sermon is going to be different than next service's sermon, I'm sure, because God is wanting to speak specifically to the people sitting in this room. I don't, I hope that it doesn't come off as disjointed, um, but I will just tell you, I'm taking my time today, right? I'm going to take my time and hear from the Lord. I want to read to you our text, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14a. And it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. God, I thank you. I thank you so much for what you are doing in the, the life of this church and, and the people that attend here and the people that are impacted by the people that attend here. God, I know that the, the ripples in the water go far and wide, and I just thank you so much what you're doing among us. Holy Spirit, come. We just have a special request this morning that as, as people listen to the word, their bodies are physically made well in Jesus' name that ulcers are removed, that cancer is gone, that arthritis is cleared up, heart palpitations are, are steadied in the name of Jesus. God, I just thank you that our physical bodies will be totally cleansed and taken care of as our spirit man submits to your word today. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say amen. Now, before you sit down, take a good 60 seconds. I'm sure you've already met different people and all of that, but get to know somebody and then you may be seated. So you received notes when you walked through the door. If for some reason you did not get a, a, your own copy and you're now wishing that you had, if you will raise your hand and wave at the ushers, they will make sure that you get some. And if you need a pen, because what good is paper without pen? If you need a pen, our ushers can distribute those. So lift your hand real quick. We'll take 10 seconds to take care of that. I want to go over the front here just to recap very quickly. I'm not going to re-preach it, Chad. I'm just going to recap from last week. We talked about three chairs, right? If, if you remember, chair number one is the commitment chair. Everybody say commitment. 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 Okay, and who remembers the second chair? Compromise. Compromise. The people on the right were listening. Compromise, very good. Um, juggling props and a mic and a pulpit and chairs is difficult, but stay with me, I'm going to do it. The third chair. Wow, you are really good at guessing. So good. You were definitely paying attention. 
it is is con conflict and I, I made the I made the case that maybe your conflict isn't ugly maybe it's a little more bougie like that but regardless it's still conflict this chair is the people that are the it's the people that have not yet said yes to a relationship with Jesus therefore there is distance between them right and God the compromise the chair of compromise I told you, and it's important and critical to my sermon today that we all get this, that hiding behind the word compromise is simply another com uh, competing commitment to chair one, right? So I could have labeled this chair commitment as well. The difference is that we are committed to self in the second chair. Um, that's why it's compromise on, on some days we feel like we're committed to God. Other days we, we are definitely committed to self. I did tell you they're going to heaven though, right? They're going to heaven. They, they have salvation. They have put their faith and their hope in Jesus. These people, man, they, they aren't really living heaven on earth like they could, but they're going to heaven. Um, they, they've been justified by the blood of Jesus. And then first chair, this is not the, you know, I don't know, the uh, Debbie Do Well chair. This isn't the Debbie Do Right chair. This is just a, a new level of commitment where you've put your faith and hope, not just in Jesus as Savior, but Jesus as Lord. That means he's definitely impacting your day-to-day -day operations, right? It's not just like you get a reminder Saturday night on your phone that you need to put on your Jesus clothes tomorrow morning, and suddenly he's a part of your life for the next hour and a half until you get on 35, even worse on Mopac, and then you forget, you forget who God is, right? This, this chair of commitment is like a 24-7 day in, day out. You probably remember me saying, because this made you feel really good when I said this, I said, the person in chair one is not perfect. When I said that, you thought, oh, there's hope for me. I know, I did, I did too. When I came to that realization that you can be all in all the time and not be perfect. There's not a chair up here for perfect people, by the way. This is simply relating to our commitment to the work of God in our life. All right, look at your notes. Chair one is commitment. Chair two is compromise. Chair three is conflict. And I provided for you, I think last week, maybe first service, I, I ran through these lists, uh, these tables, second service. I didn't even touch them at all. So I'm just providing them to you. I do want to point out a couple of cool things that I, I like in this. In the second table, the thing that was most interesting to me is parenting wins. Parenting wins. Do I have any parents in the house? Okay, the first chair, second chair, third chair, these are the parenting wins that apply to you. And if you have small kids, man, you are really blessed to be able to start this off at that age. But if you have adult kids, it's not too late to change your thinking, okay? The parenting win for the first chair is godly kids, right? You ever said to yourself, I just want my kids to be good. I just want them to be good. That's not the win for the first chair. You want your kids to be godly. That means you want them to reflect his nature. 
You want them to understand how he thinks. You want them to understand his word. You want them to actually know what fasting is, what prayer is. And prayer is not just a, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Should I die before I wake? Good God, who says that prayer to a two-year-old? And in case you die in your sleep, God's going to come take your soul. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, we want godly kids. The second chair, uh, we want good kids. We focus on good kids, not godly kids. We just want good kids, make right decisions. They're productive in society, all of that. And there's nothing wrong. I want my kids to be good too. But that's not my parenting win. My parenting win is for them to be godly because if they're godly, they will be good. The third chair, people that are far from Christ, and this is assuming healthy people. Did you know that people can actually be nice, kind, generous, good people and not know Jesus? Did you know that? There are actually a few on planet Earth that don't know Jesus, and they're all right. They're good. And their goal, their parenting win, would be to have successful kids. You ever known those people, the kids are in all the sports, they're in all the AP classes, they're in all the tutoring, they're in, they've got everything that they need to grow up and to be a successful leader. Like the cards are in their favor, it appears, and they, they will probably grow up and be successful in this life. Good on you. But what happens when they die? A lot of people in chair three prepare their kids for the here and now, not understanding that the here and now is but a speck on the timeline of eternity. And so I, I, I want my kids to be godly because when my kids are godly, they're good and they're successful because you cannot actually be godly and not have the favor of God pour on your life and flow from you to others. Like this is, I can't get there yet, but Matthew 6, says, if you seek his kingdom and his righteousness, all of these things will be added to you. That's uh, parenting win. But you know, while I'm on this parenting thing, I think I'm a pretty decent dad. I, I know that I've made my share of mistakes. I've, I've had my share of inconsistencies. I've had my share of grounding them from video games too long or for their life or saying they can't get married till they're 42. You know, I, I have my moments as a dad, but I think for the most part, I'm a pretty good dad. I think that I, I've shown them what it means to be humbled before the Lord, to, to serve the Lord, to be surrendered to the Lord. And, and that's important to me because I really believe that my example matters to my kids. I really do. Because we naturally drift towards generational slide. Generational slide. You got a chair one, a chair two, a chair three. Now listen, every example always breaks down on some level. So just because you can think of an exception to what I'm saying to you today, just set that in your back pocket and understand that's an exception, okay? We typically drift into a generational slide. And I'll give you a biblical example of that. But if I'm sitting in, in chair two, if I'm a chair two Christian, that means I'm living a life of compromise. So I'm, I'm all in one day and I, I'm all not in the next. Or one day I'm godly and one day I'm successful. 
right? Sometimes you can have two good competing objectives, but one is always higher, right? This, this is what the chair of compromise is all about. And the kids look at my example. My kids look at my example. And here's what I, I can count on, generally, with exceptions excluded, that whatever walks in the Father will run in the kids. If I'm casual about sin, if I'm casual about, let's take something that's like, I don't know, non-sinful, church attendance, okay? God's not keeping a calendar. He's not checking, you're not going to get to heaven based on 80% church attendance. Can I get an amen from somebody? Some of you say, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> right? So I'm not calling, I, I mean, I'll, I'll get to sin in a moment, and under that definition, that might actually be sin, but let's not go there yet. Uh, but something pretty non-harmful like church attendance. If I'm casual about church attendance, and my kids see that I make exceptions for church attendance based on whatever is exciting to me on that weekend. When they grow up, they don't have an example set before them that shows I'm committed to the work of God in my life. I'm committed to the work of God in the local church. Like I'm all in all the time, regardless of, of what I want, if, regardless if I want to sleep in that day, regardless if I would rather just take it easy because I've had a, a busy work week. I've, I've spent all of my energy at work. I don't have energy for God, which means you got paid to put out, but you won't put out without getting paid. When your kids see that, you can always bet if it walks in you, it's going to run in them. And I'm, I'm just surprised that I sit down with families all the time and they say, what happened to my kids? And, and I, I'm not, the goal is not for me to cast judgment or blame at all. So let's just all take a deep breath on that because there's this redeeming work of the Lord that I'm about to come around to. But when we fail to prioritize the things of God in our life, it's not that we doom our kids. We've just not created a platform or shoulders for them to stand on. The, the, the benefit of putting God first is that you get to win some battles that your kids don't have to fight. And if we take it casually and it walks in us and it eventually will run in them, this is why generational slides occur, because your kids outside of a miracle of God, a life transformational moment, a Kairos moment where they encounter God, which happens all the time. We see kids that know Jesus, love Jesus more than their parents do, right? We've, we see that. It's very common. Um, but outside of that, that work of God, if we're just going by example, we are always going to slide this way because we don't get closer to destiny and purpose on accident. In Judges chapter two, we see the story. I, I opened the service, if you were here with Joshua chapter one, where God says, be strong and be courageous. Moses had died. Joshua is now at the, at the leadership helm. And God is saying, be strong and and courageous. In Judges 2, Joshua 
is at the end of his life. Now, Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land. Joshua was a, a committed first chair follower of the things of God, right? He believed God, took God at his word. He leaned into God. And as a result, the children of Israel stepped into the promised land. In Judges chapter two, we see something very peculiar happen that is a warning to everyone in history following Judges chapter two. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance. Um, after the whole generation had been gathered up and passed away, verse 10, there arose another generation who grew up who knew nothing of the Lord. This is generational slide at its best. You have Joshua in chair one, very committed, very much leaning into the things of God. Then you have the elders. The elders didn't know God. They knew of God. This chair knows God. This chair knows of God. Like Joshua saw the things in God's heart. They heard the things in God's heart from the mouth of Joshua. So it's secondhand encounters. It's secondhand revelation, right? They're, they're, the elders are kind of forming their next steps based on the man of God, Joshua. The Bible says, though, in Judges chapter 2, that there arose another generation. These are the children of the elders, and they sat on chair three because the Bible says they knew nothing of the Lord. This is the value of our example. Now, for those of us who have wayward kids, this is not an indictment on how you lived your life. Because listen, just as there can be miracles where kids come to know Christ, whether you did or not, there are moments where kids do stupid things, no matter how great of a parent you were. Can I get an amen from everyone in the room? Those are the exceptions that I'm pulling off the table so I can talk about some generalities so that we can kind of fashion and form our life around what typically happens. Generational slide is very, very real. Second Corinthians chapter 10, three through five. I told you generational slide happens naturally, um, but it's not by accident, right? If you intentionally design your life to not press into the things of God, you are intentionally designing your life for generational slide. By the way, I'm talking about your own heart, not, not kid to kid, not father to son for you. The slide of second chair to closer to third chair. If you're not intentionally pushing into the things of God, and how do we do that? Second Corinthians 10, three through five. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I want to go back to verse four. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Everybody say carnal. This is important, guys, because if you and I want spiritual breakthrough, we have to understand that breakthrough weapons are not carnal. 
Breakthrough weapons are not carnal. If you remember last week, I told you that Paul describes this chair as a carnal chair. This is a natural chair. Like they're living in the natural, right? And when we say yes to Jesus, there's a super to our natural. We begin to live in the supernatural realm. This chair that is constantly in compromise, Paul describes them as carnal. They have a carnal nature. Meaning they're saved going to heaven, but they sure don't smell like it and look like it. They are carnal. But if you want breakthrough, the Bible says that those weapons are not carnal weapons. Meaning these are not the weapons that you pick up in this chair. The weapons for breakthrough are found over here in chair one. So many of us are wondering why our life's not shifting, why things aren't changing, why things aren't going well for us, why we don't see the favor of God on our life. It's because you're sitting in a chair that doesn't have access to the weapons. Pastor, I don't think I like this sermon. Sounds like you're preaching on works. Well, you keep thinking that because I'll get to that in a moment. But while you're wrestling with that and, and wanting to not like this sermon, let me, let me take you to the first step, the first step of spiritual breakthrough. Because today, you remember last week I told you that life hacks is all about finding those things that transition, that catapult, that thrust our life into the next realm or the next dimension. I said I was going to talk to you about marriage, which is next week. I told you I was going to talk to you about parenting, about finances, just every area of life. But I also told you I was going to talk to you about your relationship with God. Well, that's today. Today, I hope to at least release to you the tools that you need to take your spiritual life to a whole new dimension, a, a new level. But before we can do any of that, you, you have to, our, our next point on the back of your page, you have to really face something that, I don't know, it's, it, it's difficult. Not many people can get past this. So if you want breakthrough, you got to get past this. It's called the decision dilemma. You actually have to make some decisions today. Not today. You don't have to do anything today. You don't have to take notes today. You don't have to tithe today. You don't have to breathe today. You, like you have options. All of your options are on the table. You do what you want to do. But I'm saying if you want spiritual breakthrough, you got to make some decisions. The decision I'm referring to, we can see it through Joshua again. Joshua 24:15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you, whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served before Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. By the way, this isn't a call to repentance and salvation. This is a call to servanthood. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God? Or are you going to serve self? Like this is the decision you have to make. And this is, this is why it's so hard for us in America. Because the enemy has suddenly came in and convinced us that commitment doesn't really matter. You don't like a marriage? Get out of it. You don't like a baby in your womb? Get rid of it. 
You don't like the job, change jobs. The enemy has, has slipped in and confused us. And, and listen, sometimes this works to our benefit. I advised my, some, some, some of my kids, one of my married kid couples that live in America. <laughs> you, I'm not going to tell you who it is. Don't ask. But they were asking me for some advice. And the advice that I gave them was, well, that's not a, that's not a life-changing decision. And it, I think it, I don't actually recall what it had to do with, it was either where, where to move, where to rent, where to, where to work, something like that, that seems very big, right? When you're newly married, it feels like just, oh, it's the end of the world decision. And so I, I encouraged them and I said, listen, it, it's not the end of the world. It's not a life-changing decision. If you don't like it in a year, you can do something different. If you don't like it in two years, do something different. Like there is, there is power in this notion of decisions being flexible and fluid. Wouldn't you agree? And so the enemy loves to use benefits of being a son and a daughter, benefits of God. He uses a portion of the truth and then supplants it, in, supplants it into our heart. And, and it's distorted just enough that then it sends its tentacles out into other areas of our life. So because our culture is very much a, hey, no decision is final. You don't like that hair color? Change it. You don't like that you're bald? Get implants. Like, literally, any, you can change anything. You can change anything. And so when we say yes to Jesus and there's a call that goes out and there's a move of God in a moment for hearts to come home, People lift their hand and they say yes to Jesus, but unfortunately they have been so conditioned in culture that this is one of a bazillion decisions that if it doesn't sit right, that's okay. And by the way, if I say yes and this decision is, is good for me, that means it makes me feel good. That's what we've conditioned Americans. I don't know about other nations or other countries, but, but we... Don't believe that decisions are long-lasting in the church. Deciding to leave a church, uproot a family, leave a church because you don't like that the pastor preached about money or whatever, whatever you put in the thing in the blank. I don't like this about the church. And so you just go and it's always, oh, God told me to go somewhere else. Oh, did he? Because we don't believe that being planted and rooted in a house is actually a decision that we should stick through in the difficult times. You do understand, don't you, that you grow most in winter seasons. That's when your roots grow down deep is in the things that you don't like. Have you made a decision? Not, not just to, like, I wanna to go to heaven, that's an easy decision. It's an easy decision to say, you know, I don't want to spend eternity in hell. But I'm asking, have you made the decision of I want to serve Jesus? We, we see all through scripture examples. Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Paul says, he introduces himself. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ, 
Then it's James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then it's Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. All, all of those things, I'm going to say it one more time. Maybe our screens can show it just to emphasize for you. Paul, a servant of Christ. Then it's James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then it's Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. When we have fully made a decision, listen, our identity shifts. It's no longer about what we're doing. It's no, <laughs> it's all right. Our identity shifts. We see this. <laughs> We see this all through scripture. Was that country music, sir? Awesome. Yes. And so, you know what? That's okay. That's okay. You know, these people were so quiet. They, they, they laughed more at that than any of my jokes. So I appreciate it. (laughs) All right. Where was I? We know that we've made a decision when our identity shifts. Who, who am I? Who, who, this guy, like me, who, who am I? I've been asking myself that question. I can describe myself in many ways. I am a husband to Carrie. Some days, great husband. Other days, kind of great husband. I'm a, I'm a father to five plus two children, five kids that are mine and two that I've adopted through marriage and covenant. So I'm a father. I am a, a builder of people, I think. That's how I would describe, you may not describe me, but you don't get to describe me, I, I get to describe me. I'm a builder of people. I am a pastor. I'm a preacher on some days. I'm a teacher on other days. Um, I would describe who I am as a kind human. I'm really kind. I think I'm kind. Like, I, I really believe, because I know the motivation of my heart, I think I'm kind, very kind. Um, not that anyone said I'm not kind, so I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just saying, I, of all the qualities about me, one of them is my kindness that I, I really treasure the most. Um, I think I'm a generous person. I think my heart is just generous. I cannot have money and be so broken that uh, I see someone else in need and carries generous equally. And we can get ourselves into trouble by being so generous to people. We, we will anyway, but that, that's who I am. But all of those descriptions, oh, wait, I am an Aggie too. I just, I had... I just had to throw that in there because the Holy Spirit prompted me to not forget. I actually, I actually graduated Texas A&M University. Okay, so like I'm a, I'm a, I'm an Aggie. Uh, I, I just it's forever. I'm going to be an Aggie. You're not going to change me. The Lord sent me here to change you. <laughs> and those are things that I do, and that's that is who I am. But like as as far as the core of who I am. Man, I'm a son. I am a son. I am a son of, of Ravi and Cecile Rose, but that's not who I'm referring to. And I'm so grateful to be their son, by the way. 
but I'm a son of God. If you, if you want to move your relationship uh, with Jesus more, you want to, you want to break through. You have to be a son or a daughter. You have to know that you're a son, that you're a daughter. I think I'm going to have to. I'm going to finish with this. And maybe I'll have two sermons next week. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You want, you want spiritual breakthrough? Are you seeking his kingdom and his righteousness? Because seeking his kingdom emphasizes his rule, but seeking his righteousness emphasizes his character. This is how we get spiritual breakthrough. No matter where you are at on the spectrum, the Bible tells us very clearly in no uncertain terms that if you seek his rule and his character, everything else will be added to you. It's like a puzzle. It's like a puzzle. Anyone here like to do puzzles? I like, to, I like to think that I like to do puzzles. We bought this in Australia because we just knew our family loves puzzles and Carrie and the kids do. And we'll, we have this long dining room table that we'll put the puzzle out and the kids will spend hours and hours. And I'm just like, I get excited. I'll do the border and I'm done. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's not fun anymore. Yeah, y'all have at it. The righteousness of God has absolutely nothing to do with your works. Nothing. You don't earn the righteousness of God. The difference between righteousness and holiness is when you say yes to Jesus, you become righteous. You are right now, if you have said yes to Jesus, you are the righteousness of Christ. Instantly, you are you step into the righteousness of Christ. It doesn't matter what you have done, what you are still doing, or what you will do in the future. You, my friend, are righteous. And that speaks to your identity. That's why you are a son or a daughter, because you are hidden in Christ through righteousness, right? Standing. Then there's this thing that righteousness produces in our life. When you do the puzzle, you typically, if you're like me, you do the outside first, right? How many start with the corner pieces? I start with the corner pieces. I find the corner pieces, then I do the edges. And then I fill in what is blaringly obvious, glaringly obvious. And in this, I don't know what it would be, but if there was like a bright yellow star and it's just one color, yellow, I'm going to look for yellow pieces right? And I'm going to get that star completed. There's not one here. So I would probably look for a black, the black nose on this koala. 
I would look for the black piece and I would say, that's the nose. And, and I set this picture on the table. We leave it on the table so that as we're looking at all the pieces of the puzzle, we compare it to the picture, right? And it gives you some idea of, of where it is. Here's how our relationship with God works. He has painted a picture for us of what we're to become by revealing to us his righteousness. And when we say yes to Jesus, suddenly the corners are all there. And, and he lays before us all the pieces and he sits across the table and he says, what piece do you wanna do next? And so we pick up a piece and we compare it and we put it together. Now the grace of God fills in all the empty places where the pieces of the puzzle aren't put in yet. So that when God looks at the puzzle, he sees what you and I have done together, but all of the missing pieces are covered with grace. It's like filled in. When God looks at you right now, he sees the completed picture. He doesn't see that you've just got four corners. He doesn't see that you're still wrestling with this, wrestling with that. He doesn't see any of that. He sees his righteousness because you are covered by Jesus. But because we walk in grace, that doesn't give us the freedom to throw away the pieces. I don't need to finish the puzzle because God's grace is sufficient. Part of the Christian journey is our ability to pick up the pieces and say, God, where does this one go? And we compare together and the word of God becomes our mirror and our maker. So finding ourselves, and I'm done with this because we're out of time. Finding ourselves in chair one, encountering spiritual breakthrough has nothing to do with doing things. Nothing to do with doing things, right things or wrong things. It's not about that at all. This is all about doing less. You see, we are called to enter into the rest of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this chair is not about the doing, it's about the surrender. It's about understanding that Trey is still a broken man, but I surrender that to the Lord. Because if I try to control everything myself and change everything myself, I know what I've been able to create on my own, conflict. But this is a chair of deep and lasting surrender. It's where if the Lord wants to push some things out of my life, it might be painful and it might hurt and it might take effort in what we would call work. But I don't sit in this chair because I work, I work because I sit in this chair. Are you with me? I don't sit in this chair because I've given up some things. I give up some things because I sit in this chair. I don't sit in this chair because I've added to my ritual. I add to my ritual because I sit in this chair. 
Paul says it is the love of Christ that constrains us. That means it's not rules and regulations. It's not a list of shoulds and shouldn'ts. It's a moment of surrender where I say, Lord, my heart becomes yours and your heart becomes mine. And as a result, we look at the picture and we change the pieces together. Some of you are on the verge right now of spiritual breakthrough simply by letting go of the doing letting go of the control, letting go of the check marks in your life. Some of, some of you haven't gotten past the addiction because it's been you trying to get past the addiction. It's time to surrender that and allow the Lord to do that for you. Some of you haven't rebuilt the broken relationships because it's been you with your logical, rational mind trying to mend the broken relationships. It's time to surrender and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to do for you what you could not do for yourself. I'm out of time. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you today. God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that there is a place of breakthrough that you are bringing us to. God, I thank you that I thank you that we cannot earn our salvation. There's nothing that we could do to earn our salvation, but God, when we are found in you, we don't remain the same. And God, I thank you for that. God, I thank you for, for this, this beautiful tension that, that things in our life need to shift, but it's actually not on us that you're doing the work. When we fully find ourselves surrendered to you, a transformation takes place. God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.